dear, dear friends of Lisa and I, uh, we love them very, very much, and we're so excited that they're here tonight. I know Pastor's got a word on his heart, and so I hope you're ready. How many of you are ready for the word tonight? Amen. Well, let's give Pastor Lee a warm restore church welcome. Come on up. How's everybody doing? Man, we love this church. Every time we get to come, uh, it's a double blessing for us. Number one, because we just love all the all the, the great people that uh, call this church home. And uh, we don't, uh, when we have been here on weekends, we get to see a lot of people that uh, sometimes on midweek, but this is a pretty good turnout for August 1st on a sunny, beautiful, 85 degree day. Y'all are in the house worshiping Jesus tonight. So come on, give yourselves a great big hand. That's awesome. But we love being here. And uh, the, the second part of the blessing is we love your pastors. Uh, John and Lisa are, are some of our dearest friends, and uh, we have the privilege of doing a lot of ministry together, and uh, John is loved at, uh, at Radiant, and uh, so every once in a while, he invites me back, uh, so that's a good thing. When you get invited back, uh, you, you know, it's, it's always great when you're invited. It's even better when you're invited back the first time, but when you keep getting invited back, that's a really good thing, so. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me. Uh, we're going to look at a few verses tonight, but I want you to turn with me to the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to look at a verse there. Uh, and while you're turning there, just really quickly, I just want to uh, commend uh, Ionia Restore Church because your worship has always been very, very good, but your worship has gone to a whole nother level. Uh, and so Corbin and your team, all the musicians, there's just a, a strong anointing on it. There's excellence. It's just so great. And I know that you guys come here week in and week out, but sometimes you may not know. Um, uh, boom. How's that? Okay. Uh, you may not know how good what you have is. You can kind of take that for granted. And I want to tell you, I get to travel a fair bit into small churches, large churches, some of the Biggest churches uh, in the country at different times, and I'll tell you what you have. What you have here is just really, really special. So please, both of your pastor and of your all of your staff that is here, and uh, I, I know that they love you and appreciate you. But what what God's doing here is really special, Corbin. So good job, uh, really good. All right, tonight what I want to do is I want to talk to you uh, and share with you a message called partnering with the Holy Spirit. Partnering with the Holy Spirit, I want you to look with me at one verse. In fact, it's the very last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul ends his letter to the Corinthian church by saying these words. He says in verse number 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Tonight I want to talk to you about partnering with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to pray with me, if you would, before we, before we start tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we pray according to that scripture, that as we dig deep into what it means to partner with your Holy Spirit, that you would give each and every one of us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us. I pray right now that every distraction would be uh, resolved. Every contending and competing voice would be muted and silenced. 
And tonight we would hear exactly what you're saying to us, that your word would be light to our hearts and to our souls. And Lord, that we would draw closer to you as we draw closer to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So partnering with the Holy Spirit. There are so many verses tonight that I want to read to you, and some of them I'm just going to quote. Some of them I'm going to direct you, if you have a pen, to write them down, read them later, because there is so much that the Bible, especially the New Testament, has to say about the Holy Spirit that is significant for you and I. And why that bears stating, I mean, it should be kind of normal. Every, everything we know about the Holy Spirit obviously comes from the Bible, but the fact that there is so much said about the Holy Spirit is significant because when we look at the church, when we look at the body of Christ, especially in North America, in our Western civilization context, the Holy Spirit is often the most neglected member of the Trinity. You see, we have a context for God the Father because we have earthly fathers. And so we have, a, whether it was a good father or whether it was a a challenging father or even an absentee father, at least we have a context, a picture, an image of how to relate to God as a father because we have an earthly representation of it, whether it's our father or whether it's somebody else's father or just a father in general. Sometimes, actually, that can become baggage that we have to unpack because we begin to project unhealthy images of earthly fathers onto God and that's where we sometimes need some healing. But at least we can relate to God because we say, well, God's a father. And when we talk about Jesus, the son, well, we, we also understand sons and sonship and how sons relate to the father or to parents. And all of us in this room have been sons or daughters. And uh, so we understand that, that portion of what it means for Jesus to be the son. And we can, we can put skin on Jesus because we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who record for us the life and the ministry of Jesus when he became the incarnate word. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. And so when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can see God the Son walking around as a human being doing ministry, and there's, there's context for that. So we understand God as Father, we understand God the Son, but when we get to the Holy Spirit, oftentimes that's where we check out. Because a spirit, by definition, is not physical, it's not corporal, it's not uh, flesh and blood that we can look and we can see. Jesus in John chapter 3, when he was having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus about the kingdom of God, he says the Spirit of God, it's like the wind, you never know where, when, it, when it's coming or where it's coming from or where it goes to. You just see the effect on the physical world that's around you when the wind does blow. But nobody can grab a hold of the wind, define the wind, draw the wind. In fact, if I were to ask you right now, take a pen and draw a picture of the wind, you, you wouldn't actually draw a picture of the wind as much as you would draw pictures of the effect of the wind on things. And that's how Jesus equated the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit is like the wind. The Holy Spirit is pictured as oil. The Holy Spirit is pictured as water, as rivers, as wind. It's all of these things, but still it's, it's mysterious. And so whenever we come across things that we don't understand, 
we typically do one of two things. We either exaggerate it and we put our opinions upon that thing and give it definition or we ignore it. And I think in the body of Christ, those two things have happened. One segment of the body of Christ has basically ignored the Holy Spirit. We're just like, we know he's there, but he's the silent partner of the Father and the Son, and we just don't talk about the Holy Spirit. He's there. We know he's in here, but it's just kind of like breath in our lungs. We, just, it's, we almost treat the Holy Spirit like an inanimate object. And then the other side, so I would say that a large part of the body of Christ stands over here, and uh, in a maybe more of a cessationist standpoint where it's like we believe in the existence of the Holy Spirit, but any of the supernatural workings, ministries, aspects of the Holy Spirit, we ignore those or say that those are done because we're really, really uncomfortable with them. Have you ever met somebody who's uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit? It's just like, whoo, are you one of those? You go to one of those churches that believes in like, whoo, whoo, you know, swinging from the, the, you know, lights and chandeliers and holy rollers and wow. And does your church believe in speaking in tongues? I mean, wow, it's like, whoo. Yeah, and it's amazing the reaction you'll get from some people, Christians, when you say, well, of course I believe in those things. They're in the Bible. Yeah, I know that's in the Bible, but I mean, you know, that was the olden days. And, and, you know, now we're much more sophisticated and mature as if we don't need what they had in the first century. I don't know about you, but I think we would do a lot better if we had a little bit more of what they had and a little bit less of what we have. And uh, you'll, never, you'll never see bigger eyes than when I tell a good old Bible church or a Baptist or a cessationist that it's like, if you got a problem with tongues, you got a problem with the Bible. And they're just like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, because the New Testament, every single book in your New Testament was written by a person that spoke in tongues. Thought it was a great idea and encouraged others to do it as well. Boy, that'll ruffle some feathers. So you got one side of the body of Christ that treats the Holy Spirit and just says, well, let's treat him like the crazy uncle that we keep in the basement. Don't let him out when we have company over. Because we don't know what he's going to do. And uh, as we acknowledge him. He's in the family tree, but he's never at the table. The other, the other side, the other side of the body of Christ is the charismatics. Charismaniacs. They're the ones who treat the Holy Spirit not like a person, but like a party favor. And we want to break them out on Sundays, but we forget about them. We leave them in the church closet Monday through Saturday. Because when we come to church, we want to treat church like a carnival and, uh, and bust out the party favors. And so this is equally dangerous because what can happen is we begin to make the Holy Spirit useful. And God is God, and God is sovereign, and God is powerful, but God is not useful. God is not a means to our ends. And there's a danger that we will treat the Holy Spirit as power and fuel to accomplish our goals and our dreams, not God, the third member of the Trinity, who has emotions, has an assignment, and is equally holy and to be revered. So there's, there's really these two sides in the body of Christ. And there's all kinds of misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, taught about some of the more dynamic aspects of the Holy Spirit to this church, the church at Corinth, than any other church. And he sums up his final letter by stating, making the statement, 
in his closing prayer that he prays for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand grace, salvation. The love of God, that's the love of the Father. And then he says this, and the partnership or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The word fellowship is an interesting word because it's a Greek word, koinonia, and it is best translated as this, a divine partnership. It's people that have partnered or two parties that have come together and partnered together around a common cause. And whenever the Bible makes reference to the word koinonia or uses this word fellowship, it's not referring to a hall at the end of the church that everybody gathers in to eat cookies and Kool-Aid after church on Sunday. That's the fellowship hall. The word fellowship actually means a partnership. So I want you to hear it in that phrase. Paul is saying, I want you to understand the grace that comes through Jesus Christ, the cross. I want you to understand the message of the cross. I want you to understand the love of the Father but I also want you to understand partnership with the Holy Spirit. And this is where so many Christians are walking in a state of ignorance. It's, it's, it's not because they don't want to know. It's because they just we don't talk about it. Because, again, the Holy Spirit is challenging to define, at least according to natural metrics and parameters. But Jesus is talking about that for every single one of us as believers, not only are we called to have an experience where we're saved by grace, not only are we called to know the Father and the Father's love that changes us and transforms us, but every single day of our life, we're called to walk in partnership with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to have a partnership with the Holy Spirit? The word uh, koinonia, and I'm not going to, I'm no Rick Renner, but if you break down the word koinonia or partnership, it, it's not only is it a word that means a, a, a partnership, but it, it literally is a picture of two people that have come under a yoke, like two oxen that have had a yoke laid across their shoulders and they are pulling in the same direction. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, same book, it says, speaking to believers, do not be unequally yoked, what? With unbelievers. That word yoked is this picture of two ox that have a yoke laid across their shoulders and the farmer is pushing them and they're pulling the plow and because they're equally strong, they're doing it in unison together and there's a whole lot of increase that comes when you have strong oxen that are pulling together in partnership. Now, he's writing to Christians, and he says, a Christian should not marry a non-Christian because you are unequally yoked. Why? Because one's going to pull in this direction, the other's going to pull in that direction, and nothing's going to get done. The weaker will always slow down and affect the stronger. I've, I've rarely met Christians who it's, you know, I've, I've been pastoring for almost 25 years, and I've rarely met a, uh, a Christian who's strong, who's dating a non-Christian, who doesn't want anything to do with it, that ends up pulling the non-Christian in and stays strong. It's typically the other way around. Why? It's because you're unequally yoked. That same word yoked is the word partnership. So I want you to picture yourself yoked up, not with an individual, not with a person with flesh and blood, but with the Holy Spirit. Pulling in the same direction. You know, Jesus in the Gospel of John 14, 15, and 16 made reference to the Holy Spirit and certain aspects of the Holy Spirit six unique times. 
And what he said about the Holy Spirit, I think the most kind of the centering of all of those scriptures is John 16, verse 7, where Jesus said this, if uh, it is to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of truth or the helper will not come. He uses the word helper. And the word helper is the Greek word paraclete, which basically means one who is called to come up alongside another. There's that idea again of being yoked together. He calls it a paraclete, a parakletos, which means para, one who's called up alongside, and kletos, which means one who has a divine holy summoning to a cause or a mission. So the Holy Spirit comes, is called, Jesus ascends into heaven, you're born again, and since the cross and the resurrection, every time somebody is born again, the Father sends the Holy Spirit, not just to seal you unto the day of salvation, it's part of it, but he also sends the Holy Spirit on a mission to link up with you and to partner with you every single moment of your life. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, number one, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. So what does that mean? It means that we're living in a world where so many of us, because we have broken relationships, have an orphan spirit. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit comes, and according to Galatians 4 and Romans chapter 8, the very first thing he does is he teaches our hearts to relate to God as a father by crying out, Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit. He connects us intimately to the heart of the Father. What else does Jesus say? He says, well, he will lead and guide you into all truth. The spirit of truth. He's referred to as the spirit of truth three times. The spirit of truth, the spirit of truth. When he comes, he will lead you and guide you in all truth. He will take of what is mine and he will reveal it to you. He will glorify me. (coughs) These are aspects of, of partnering with the Holy Spirit that Jesus spent the last few days of his ministry teaching his disciples because he knew that he was about to depart. And he says, look, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about walking with Jesus on the face of the earth and doing ministry, with Jesus in the flesh, I think that, that would be pretty amazing. How many would like to do that? I mean, if, if, if God said, you can have Jesus in the flesh like the disciples had him in the four gospels and you can be one of his disciples, how many of you would cash out your retirement, do whatever you had to do, and you'd follow Jesus wherever he went? Walking through the streets of Ionia with his Chaco sandals on. I mean, be following Jesus. It's like, I'm, where he goes, that's where I'm going. How many of you would, would show up for that? About three quarters of us. The rest of you are hard to impress. It's Jesus. I mean, right now, if somebody said, hey, Jesus just moved to Grand Rapids, and uh, he is doing ministry in the flesh, and you knew that it was Jesus, I'll tell you what, we'd drop everything. We'd go there. It's like, wow, I want to hear this, man. I want to see the miracles. I mean, the disciples walked with him for three years like that. They ate fish with him. They joked with him. They journeyed with him. They walked with him. They heard him teach. They saw him cast out demons. They saw words of knowledge. They prayed with him. And they were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. I mean, so much so that he, all 12 of them, Jesus only gave them two words. He ran into them and said, follow me. That's it. And they're just like, I'm in. Now, these same group of people that Jesus has walked with for three and a half years, 
at the end of his ministry, he looks at him and he says, I want to tell you something. I'm leaving, but I want you to know it's to your advantage. I want you to think about those words. It's to your advantage. You and I, at least I do, have a tendency to think doing life as a Christian would be way easier if I could see, touch, feel, hear Jesus in the flesh, know where he's at geographically every day, and just go and follow him. But Jesus actually said that there's a better way. He says it's to your advantage. In other words, me leaving is not a negative. Me leaving is enabling your walk with God to go to a higher level. It's an advantage. You see, we need to take advantage of every advantage that we have in the Christian life. And the advantage that Jesus said is this. He says, if I'm here, it's just me. But if I go away, the Father will send the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide you in the truth. So each and every one of us, no matter where we are at, what sphere of life that we're in, what town we live in, how often we get together in church, every single day, every moment of your life, every breath that you take, every thought that you think, every drive you go on, every cup of coffee you drink on your way to work, every time you sit in your cubicle, sit at your desk at at work or at school, you have the same Holy Spirit that led, guided, directed, empowered, spoke to and related to Jesus while he was here on the earth. You have the Holy Spirit with us. He's not some shirt we fold up for Sundays and put in the drawer, and on Sundays we bust it out and say, it's time to get our spirit on. I got spirit. Yes, I do. I got spirit. How about you? No, the Holy Spirit is with us, assigned by the Father to walk with you and lead and guide you into all truth. You may not know what tomorrow holds, but he does. You may not know what your destiny is, but he does. You may not know what the Bible means, but he does. In fact, he wrote it. He inspired every single word of the Bible. You may not know what the person that you work with is struggling, but he does. You may not have the ability or the power to bring about a supernatural change or result. He does. You may not know how to pray. He does. And every single day of your life as a born-again child of God, you have this advantage that the Holy Spirit has been called to be your senior partner and tour guide through the Christian life. And everything that you will ever need, you already have. If you've ever traveled uh, to another country, it can be somewhat nerve-wracking, uh, or even a, another city, you know, it can be somewhat nerve-wracking because you don't know where you're going. Uh, recently, I was out in San Francisco. I was out there for like a, a gathering of pastors, and uh, San Francisco is a huge city, and the traffic's horrible, if you've ever been out there. It's beautiful, it's a little crazy, uh, but it, here's what helps is when you have an Uber driver who knows where everything's at. And it, I mean, I, I truly believe Uber and GPS have saved more marriages because it used to be, it used to be when Jane and I would travel, it was like Ram McNally, the old paper maps. Remember those things? It's like, hey, baby, I need to know how to get to, you know, Charlevoix from wherever we're at. And, oh, I don't know, take this highway up there. Well, you're supposed to make a turn. It's like, no, no, show me the map and back and forth. Now, you know, you can just plug in an address, boom, into your, uh, into your little GPS, your maps program on your, if you have an iPhone, you have the maps. If you 
don't have an Apple product, there will be an altar call at the end of the service. But you can punch in the address. And at least for me, I have a British lady's voice on here. It goes, please return to route. And it will begin to tell you, in 45, 45 miles, turn left on exit 172. And, you know, it'll take you where you want to go. And you arrive, and it tells you when you're going to arrive and the whole ball of wax. It's awesome. You can get into an Uber car. The Uber driver, he knows where he's going, but he'll also use the GPS. It's amazing. And the same is true with any other GPS programs that you have. If you go to another country, having a tour guide. We went to Israel uh, a couple years ago. In fact, we're going back this fall. But when we went, we had uh, a man named Gideon, who was our tour guide all throughout the Holy Land. And having a tour guide who knows where they're going makes all the difference. Because you can get lost really quick. Last year, when Jane and I were out in Redding, California, you guys see all the fires that are going on out there? We were right, we were, we were lost right where all those fires were. Because we were trying to cross the mountains. They're down in the valley. That's why it's so hot. It's like microwave. And we were trying, one day we decided we're going to drive to the California coast. We want to see the redwoods. It's 60 degrees there as opposed to 117, which it was every day. So, but you had to drive through the, uh, an expressway through the mountains. It's about a two-hour drive. So we, we head west. We're going through the mountains. And we had heard that there was two routes. One was shorter. It kind of takes you up through the hills and the mountains. And the other is just straight through on the highway. But it, traffic can be bad. So we got to the point where it takes you into the mountains. And the little British lady jumps under and goes, take exit 17 to the right. And so we got off and up through the mountains we start going. And we're driving all the way up to the top of the mountains. We've got GPS and or got got a signal and it's telling us where to go, taking all the turns. But then we're driving up and down mountains. About an hour into it, I realized something. I realized she wasn't talking to me anymore because we didn't have a signal in the mountains with no road signs. And I'm usually a pretty decisive individual. It's kind of, I, I, even if I'm wrong, I think I know where I'm going. <clears throat> But I got to a point where I did not. I'm like, there is no signs. We're at a fork in the road. We are in the middle of nowhere. And this thing isn't talking and there is no signal. And I told you, I don't know where to go. We saw a pickup truck drive by us. So I, I'm going to follow him. And he pulled into a driveway. I followed him into the driveway. And big dogs started coming out at us. I'm like, nope, not that. And put it in reverse, pulled back out, went parked at our, at the fork in the road. And then a lady came along, I don't know how much longer, in a pickup. And I was like, I'm, I'm following her. She's going to end up someplace, so I'm going with her. So I started tailgating her. Well, finally, she just pulled over, and I pulled up. Next. I said, we're lost. She goes, oh, where are you trying to get to? I said, we're trying to get to the park down at home. Oh, man, she goes, wow, you are a long ways off course for that. We have been driving for an hour in the mountains. How long? Two hours, maybe. <clears throat> we had seen marijuana farmers, pit bulls on the loose. I mean, we had seen, baby, we had seen California. <clears throat> so I'm following, she goes, just follow me and, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll take you back to Weaverville. I'm like, we drove through Weaverville two hours ago. So follow her back. And uh, she gets us back to the road. We get back to the highway. And it was where, it was almost exactly where we got off the highway. So we never made it to the coast. We were just like, you know what? I'm sick of driving. And so we went back to our Airbnb, never made it. And listen, 
When you lose your signal, you get lost really quick. And a lot of us are living our Christian life with the airplane mode on. Where all the programs are there in the phone, everything you need. But when you turn the air, airplane mode off because you're on a journey someplace else and you turn that off and you no longer, you lose your signal or you try and figure it out on your own. Proverbs says it best. There's a way that seems right to the man, but in the end, it ends in death and destruction. The way of the righteous wind upward. And there are a lot of Christians who have cut the signal or haven't, haven't flipped their soul and their spirit from airplane mode to activate the voice of the Holy Spirit in a partnership role so that he can lead and guide you into all truth. His number one responsibility is to form Christ in you and then to accomplish the works of God through you, which means he is going to direct every one of your steps. Every single day he's going to speak to you He's going to illuminate scripture. You have a tour guide through life. Every, and, and the Holy Spirit was the one who in the very beginning was brooding over the face of the deep when God created the heavens and the earth, right? It was the Spirit of God. It was like the, the Hebrew language actually, when it says that in Genesis 1, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the deep. The Hebrew word is the picture of a hen that is sitting on eggs waiting to be incubated unto hatching. So the Holy Spirit was there. Everything that God the Father purposed in his heart, that Jesus the Word spoke, the Holy Spirit was in contact on the face of the earth, making come to pass what the Father had decreed. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is also over the darkness of our soul, conforming us into the image of Christ. And every promise that the Father has made, every promise that Jesus has declared, the Holy Spirit is present, brooding over our every step and our every moment to bring it to pass, just like in creation. That was creation in the beginning. You are new creation in the end. And we need to have a partnership with the Holy Spirit, which means that we need to recognize something, that the Holy Spirit is not an inanimate substance. He's a person. And he's the third person of the Trinity. And he's not just in the heavens. The Holy Spirit is the one that was sent by Jesus to be the spiritual tour guide, the paraclete, the one who comes up alongside of us to help us walk. This is what Jesus did. Jesus walked in a divine partnership with the Holy Spirit. My favorite of the four Gospels, I love them all, and so this week my favorite one is Luke. Every week I have a different Gospel because every week I'm seemingly reading in a different one, but I love Luke's Gospel. Luke has been called the, the, the Gospel of the Holy Spirit because more than any of the other Gospels he speaks about the Holy Spirit. But here's what's interesting about how he makes reference to Jesus' ministry. In Luke chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus shows up into the Jordan River, and John, his cousin the Baptist, baptizes him, and immediately it says, the heavens were open, the Holy Spirit came in a bodily form, landed upon him, and a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But the Holy Spirit came on Jesus. Do you get that? The Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that you have, Jesus had. Now, immediately it says in Luke 4, 1, that after this happened, that Jesus was then led by the, the Holy Spirit 
in the wilderness. The ESV, which is the Holy Bible. Uh, don't be reading that NLT stuff. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm always hassling John because he reads the New Living Translation. But uh, in the ESV, it says that he was led in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Led by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, and immediately, what do we see? He's being led of the Spirit. Where does he go? Into the wilderness. Now, the first time I read that, I thought to myself, why in the world, if the Holy Spirit is good, if the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us into all truth and into our destiny, why would the Holy Spirit's first course of action lead Jesus into the wilderness? We think of wilderness as something you end up in when you've done something wrong. But the Holy Spirit, the ESV says, and the Greek actually says it the best, it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. It says that the Holy Spirit led him in the wilderness. When he was in the wilderness, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And why was that significant and important? It's because who came to Jesus in the wilderness? Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness and tempted him and tested him. Challenged his identity, if you are the son of God. Challenged his omnipotency. If you're the son of God, then turn this bread. Cast yourself down so his angels will catch you. And then he challenged his commitment to the purpose and the destiny that God had for him. What was God's destiny for Jesus? It was to go to the, somebody shout it out. And die for the sins of the world and then be what? And because he was raised, Philippians 2 says, that because he humbled himself even to the point of death, that God has also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But before he was ever exalted, there was obedience to the point of death. Now, what does Satan do? When he comes, his third and his final temptation to Jesus, he says this, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. I know why you're here, Jesus. You're here for all this. I'll tell you what. Worship me, and I'll give it all to you. You too, Bono put it this way in his song called Vertigo. He says, give me what I want, and no one gets hurt. What did Satan want? He wanted Jesus to worship him. He said, if you'll worship me, Here's basically what he was saying. You don't have to go through the suffering and the pain of the cross in order to achieve your destiny. I'll give you a shortcut. And Jesus responded, being led by the Holy Spirit with the word of God, and he says, it is written, you shall serve the Lord your God only, and him only shall you worship. And then it says, and the devil departed from him. Sounds like James where it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He was led by the Holy Spirit of God. And then immediately it says in uh, Luke 4 verse 14, it says, after his temptation, it says, he returned in the power of the Spirit. So you can go through the, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's fascinating how many times you see the, Jesus' partnership with the Holy Spirit. Here's one thing I just want, I'm going to move on from this, but I want you to think about this. Jesus, Acts 10.38 says, remember how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were sick and oppressed by the devil. 
It says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up and he reads Isaiah. The, whole, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he gives this whole job description. Here's what I want you to think about. Prior to John baptizing him and the Spirit coming upon him and everything else that we just read, Jesus never preached one sermon. Jesus never performed one miracle. Jesus never cast one demon out. Jesus never walked on water. Jesus never raised anybody from the dead. Jesus never restored anybody's eyesight. Jesus never preached a sermon before this moment. Didn't happen. And Satan never challenged him that we're aware of to the degree that he did in the wilderness until the Holy Spirit yoked up with Jesus on the earth. Because you and I, we see things according to the natural, right? We see according to our five physical senses, what we can see, what we can smell, what we can taste, what we can hear, what we can feel. And we think that that's real. But if you could see in the sixth dimension, in the spiritual dimension, you would realize that that dimension is more real than this dimensions are. That that is eternal, this is temporal. And Satan, the reason why Satan challenged Jesus is it was the first time that God announced this is the Messiah and put the anointing on Jesus. And Satan saw that recognized the anointing, knew the prophecies. How many know the Bible? The devil knows the Bible better than you do. He'd been looking for who the Messiah, who was going to be the Savior of the world. And when he saw Jesus, immediately he was attracted to challenge him. That's exactly why Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, because the enemy will always come. That, listen, the, the devil is like a shark. Sharks can smell blood, a drop of blood in the water up to a mile away. And the devil is violently attracted to the presence of the Holy Spirit's anointing on a believer's life. When you get born again, you get marked immediately as being someone who belongs to Jesus, someone who belongs to the Father and who has the mark and the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the devil comes in, he tempts you. And that's why we need the divine partnership. How in the world do we think we're gonna face off on the temptations and challenges of our life in the days that we're living in right now. I mean, our world is crazy. Has anybody realized that recently? Our world is crazy. Everything that used to be right is now called wrong. Everything that used to be wrong is now called right. Ups, down, downs, up. We celebrate that as wisdom, and, but yet we're so foolish and stupid that then we can't figure out why when we're trying to reinvent the world that God created perfectly in the first place, we are reoriented based on our five senses in a fallen, flipped upside down nature. We can't build the world the way that God originally built it. And then we get mad at God for not operating according to our laws and our culture. And why does God make bad things happen? The better question is, why does God let good things happen to bad people? Not, not why bad things happen to good people. Because the Bible says there isn't any good. You are not good without Jesus. I am not good without Jesus. But we live in a crazy world, and if Jesus didn't dare square off against the, the, the temptations of the enemy in his wilderness without the yoking and the partnership and the awareness of the Holy Spirit, how in the world do you and I think we're going to do it? <clears throat> okay, I, I'm going to shout or something, scream. I'm going to scream, because you guys aren't screaming and waving hankies or anything like that. Okay, 
<clears throat> we're going we're gonna to look at a couple scriptures and then I'm going to talk some more for a minute. All right. Turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going someplace with this. Everything's up to this point is, is basically teeing up the ball for where I want to go. I know there's been a lot. But how many know we can't get enough Bible? We need the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for, thank you, all right. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse number 10. <clears throat> it says, these things, referring to all the things that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love him. That's us, that's our destiny. It says, these things Pay close attention to this. God has revealed to us what? Through the? For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received, this is so important. You should underline this verse in your Bible. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. Look down at verse 14. The natural man or the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. For who understands the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. There, it, it says in, the very, in verse number nine, he's quoting out of the Psalms, and he says, look, God has some incredible things planned for every single believer's life. If you're saved, you are not just an old sinner saved by grace. You are now a child of God with a brand new nature and an eternal destiny that God prepared before the foundations of the world for you. He's got, it's like you just got, has anybody ever gotten those phone calls? Mr. Cummings, congratulations. Oh, why? What's up? You just, you, you've been selected for an all-expense cruise for you and a loved one. We're going to pay for everything. You come on out. It's like, woo! I never take them up on it because it's a scam. <laughs> but when God says to you, your eye is not seen, your ear is not heard, nor is it even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him, you can take that to the bank. But how do we get there? Well, it says that that's the reason why the Holy Spirit was given to you. The Holy Spirit was given to reveal through the Spirit the things that have freely been given to us. The Holy Spirit is the tour guide to lead you into all truth, to guide you, to empower you, to strengthen you. But it says that the natural person does not look at the things of the Spirit and go, oh yeah, that makes sense, that's logical, that's rational, that's how things operate, because the way that God operates in the Spirit is not the way that you and I operate in the flesh. So what happens a lot of times is because God is speaking to us in a way, in the language of the Spirit, and he's trying to partner with us, but yet we're trying to partner with the Holy Spirit in our flesh. And you can't operate in the flesh and please the Father. You can't partner with the Spirit when you're thinking in terms of the flesh. It's like this, the Holy Spirit's never gonna help you cheat on your taxes. 
Well, I was one day I was doing my taxes and the Holy Spirit gave me this creative idea of what the claim that they could never prove I never did. No, that's called stealing. And the Holy Spirit doesn't anoint that. Right? Don't come to me and say, oh, I met this really nice guy at the bar on Saturday night. He's such a stud. I mean, he's got veins coming out of his arms and all kinds of tattoos. And I just, woo, when I'm around him and I just heard the Holy Spirit, I should go home and just sleep with him. You're all like, whoa, whoa. No, welcome to our world. I've actually had people say, well, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, but the Holy Spirit told me it was okay. The same Holy Spirit that wrote this and says fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God is now coming to 2018 to Kalamazoo, Michigan and whispering in a 22-year-old young man's ears, hey, bypass that, it's good for you. No. You can't be in the flesh and partner with the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that the days that we're living, here's where, here's where I want to go. The days that we're living in, every single one of us, listen to me, every single one of us, whether we know it or not, are partnering with a spirit. The definition of partnering is yoking up together and coming under the influence of. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says that we're supposed to, don't come under the influence of alcohol. Don't come under the influence of, of other substances because how many have ever seen somebody who's under the influence of a drug or alcohol or something along those lines? Does anybody know anybody? I know we're in church and so wouldn't, nobody in here has ever experienced that, but has anybody ever seen that portrayed and maybe in Hollywood or something? <laughs> Staggering around. They think they're, Walking straight, are they? No. They think there's Arctic, I love you, you're my best friend, and nothing is ever gonna get in between. I'll tell you, it's like, <clears throat> you're under the influence. It affects the way you see things. God's saying don't come under the influence of things, come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm gonna tell you, in, in the day that we're living in right now, more so than ever, Every single one of us make a decision to either come under the influence of the Holy Spirit or we come under the influence that Paul says is, is the spirit of the world. Okay, turn with me over one more place to First uh, Timothy. You guys all right? Might not get invited back. It's all right. First Corinthians or First Timothy chapter four, sorry. <clears throat> Verse number one. Here's what this this is so powerful. If if you do nothing except underline and go back and read the verse that we're about to read right now after tonight, it will change your life. I've come back to this verse a hundred times in the last two years. I'm serious. And it's not because I'm a pastor and I have to read the Bible. This is what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me as a shepherd about over the last two years. And just saying, Lee, we are living in a day where people don't know it, but they're coming under influence, spiritual influences. Look at what it says. Verse number one, now, right now, the Spirit expressly says, or explicitly says, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by 
devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. New King James, which I cut my teeth on, it says this. Now the spirit uh, expressly says that in the last times, people will depart from their faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Notice it says this, that the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who inspired every single word of the Bible, emphasizes this point above all the other points. He says he expressly, explicitly, in all caps, says. How many know if the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, has written the whole Bible, grabs one verse and says, I really want to emphasize this. We should probably pay attention to it. And he says, in the last days, that's today. We're living in the last days, church. Not the last days of the world because God's coming back to redeem his world and make all things new, but we're living in the end of the age right before the beginning of the the kingdom of God. Jesus' return. I believe that with all of my heart. The Spirit expressly says that in the last days, people will depart. That word depart means to swerve off course. They will swerve off course away from the faith because, listen, They have devoted themselves or submitted themselves to deceitful, seducing spirits. That's the spirit of this age. First John, the writer John calls it the, the spirit of error. There is a uh, if we could pull back the veil tonight, you and I, we see in the natural. I mean, we're, we're looking at, this is a beautiful building and five, di- you know, we've got three dimensions and I'm looking at things that are solid in all of you, <clears throat> but we're only seeing part of, the, part of the story. Because in this very room right now, there are angels and there are demons that are in this room. The Spirit of God is in this room, but there is warfare that is happening that our natural eyes can't see, but just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. If we could pull back the veil right now and see this evening the spiritual dimension, it would blow our minds. It would sober us up really quick. And let me tell you, it's not just in this building, it's everywhere throughout the world. It's every street, it's every room, it's every facet, it's every conversation, it's every relationship. If you don't think that there, you know, the Bible says that one of the ways that it describes Satan is it says he's the prince of the power of the air. Might as well put waves on the end of that. Air waves. Because if you don't think Satan is influencing Hollywood, let me tell you, Hollywood is the new priesthood that is preaching the new gospel. A new sexuality, a new morality, a new religious ethic, and it's out there. And those are channels of propaganda. They are under the influence of a spirit. No man comes, uh, listen, human beings are not that ingenious to sit around and come up with these new philosophies. It's people that have come under the influence of a spirit that have then been given an in, a, a position of influence in society that then take channels of communication that are propagandizing a message that then we're receiving and coming under the influence of it, and it's changing us one degree at a time. And we don't even know it. It's just because this is just, well, this is the world that we live in. Oh, that's harmless. 
That doesn't mean anything. Oh, I just let, you know, it's whatever. I just like the movie. It's not changing me. It's not altering me. Or I just like that environment. Or I just like these people. Or even, I mean, our universities. We live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is home of Western Michigan University. And when we first moved to Kalamazoo, I remember driving through the campus and the Lord like pulled back the veil and showed me the university. And I saw it instead of a campus, I saw it like a concentration camp with high barbed wire fences all the way around. And it was like the Lord was showing all these students who are coming here are coming under the influence and being made captives by the philosophies of men, humanism and and liberalism, all these philosophies, other skepticism, naturalism, all these isms. Where do you think isms come from? They all come from a source. And if the source ain't God, then it's someplace else. And here's what I want you to know. Paul says this. He says, in the last days, A lot of people are going to be deceived and seduced. Seduction, this is, listen, this is where I'm going to end tonight. Seduction is a subtle, subtle art. ESV uses the word deceitful. I think we all know what deception is. It's lying. But most lies that are truly deceptive Start with a grain of truth. But the New King James translators translated it seducing spirits. And I think it's better because I think that really portrays the picture of how hell works in the life of a believer. Because we believe the lie a lot of times that we can live in a DMZ spiritually, a demilitarized zone. We think, well, I know that there's, you know, there's church and, and spiritual influences out there that I go to once in a while or I go on weekends or maybe on first Wednesdays, my small group. Those are spiritual environments. And then there are these other environments and decisions that I make that maybe aren't right, maybe aren't good, maybe don't line up with the word of God. Maybe, you know, they're not overtly Christian, but they're just kind of my other life. We've compartmentalized it. And we think like there's this barrier between the two. There is not. There is not a demilitarized zone. No DMZ. Jesus said you are either for me or you are against me. You, I am either Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. And the way seduction works, when you think about somebody who's had an affair, and I'm so grateful for the grace of God in, in all of our lives because we're all susceptible to temptations. And I know so many wonderful people that have had affairs, never meant to. Now Jesus has restored their marriage or has restored their life. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? We need the grace of God. But here's what I've heard in every single situation from somebody who's ended or lost something precious to them, like their marriage and their family to an affair, they'll always say this, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. It's like, you know, I, maybe I wasn't happy in my marriage or I wasn't giving it attention. I was just kind of taking it for granted. And then this person came along and started flattering or started listening to my opinions. I spent time with them and we became familiar And then what began to happen is I started thinking about them. And in that familiarity, boundaries begin to drop. And then there was a point where I kind of knew that this wasn't right. 
and it was going too far, but it was just too hard not to step over the line because what seduction does is it kind of draws you in. You read Proverbs, it talks about beware of the seducing woman who allures you in. It's an alluring thing. That's in a marriage, that's in a, a romantic affair. When the Bible uses that word seductive, that's exactly how the devil works. If he can draw you away from intimacy with the Holy Spirit, if he can keep you blinded and taking the Holy Spirit's presence in your life for granted, if he can keep you out of the word, if, how many of you have ever tried to read the Bible and gotten distracted? Raise your hand. That was spiritual warfare. You're just like, oh, it's just so hard to concentrate. You want to know why? It's because the enemy is sending every jamming signal that he can to your spirit, trying to keep you from reading the Bible. Isn't it amazing how you can be locked in on Mission Impossible 3 and know every, oh, did you hear that music, the soundtrack, they're shooting this on film, I can see the frames for, and you just know every little thing, but man, you're trying to read the Bible, and it's like, well, I don't even remember what I read. One of the things that I started doing years ago because somebody taught me to do is every single time that I sit down to read the Bible, I say this, Holy Spirit, I need you to lead and guide me in what I'm reading. Pray that prayer to change your life. But the, the enemy is always trying to pull you away from that. Seducing spirit and listen, and doctrines of demons. Seduction relationally will always lead to deception and false doctrine or false beliefs, practically. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to be a heretic. I'm going to believe something that's not true. It's not biblical. I'm going to reject the Bible. I'm going to reject Jesus. Nobody, nobody wakes up and says that. It happens slowly. Why is it? It's because we're seduced by spiritual influences. And listen, we're living in a day. Here's why I, want, I, I needed to say that. It's because the days of us just sitting around ignoring the Holy Spirit, These are not days for that. These are days for us to draw near and say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace. And we need to invite the Holy Spirit. We need to, here's what, what do you do with a relationship? Because the Holy Spirit wants a relationship. How do you develop a relationship? You spend time with them. Just like the spirit, the false spirits try and deceive by familiarity and spending time. We need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. We need to say, Holy Spirit, you wrote this book, so I need you to speak to me about I want to be trained in how to be sensitive to your promptings and to your leading. I want to know how to overcome temptation. I'm going to welcome you into my life every single day. I'm going to listen to that still small voice in my conscience, and I'm not going to step over that line. I'm going to submit to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We need that today, lest we become captives in the promised land. You're called to partner with the Holy Spirit. Last verse, I'm just going to read it to you. Paul writes in Galatians chapter five, he says, but I say this, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to one another. There's a war that all of us are engaged in. The flesh, the devil are waging war against what the spirit of God wants to produce in your life. And the spirit of God is warring for your devotion and allegiance 
against the things that hell wants to bring about in your life. What does hell want to bring about in your life? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. What does Jesus want to bring about in your life? To give you life and to give it more abundantly. Do you stand up with me all over this room? What I want to do is I want to, I want to pray for us. I say us because sometimes pastors can give the impression that we have it all together. And we're human beings, susceptible to all the same things. I need the Holy Spirit more today than I've ever needed him. The decisions I need to make as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a leader are bigger and more consequential than I've ever faced before. The people that I minister to today have situations that I don't have the wisdom that it takes in my own. Today, I don't know what the enemy, what roadblocks the enemy is setting up for me, but I know that the Holy Spirit who's in me and with me does. And I can pray the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one today. Today, I, I don't have everything that I need, but I know the one who is everything that I need. And he's with me. He's calling me to decisively listen, decisively yoke up with him. You don't have to convince the Holy Spirit to yoke up with you. The Father told him to do it. But you have to make the decision to take the yoke off of your shoulder that has linked you up with some other things and let the anointing break the yoke and choose to, I'm going to link up with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what you say goes. Where you go, I go. What you say, I believe. What your word says, I believe it. You draw the boundary lines. You lead me and you guide me. I'll respond to every prompting. If you'll speak to me, if you'll give me the ears to hear in the spirit what you're saying to me, I'll respond. If you'll anoint me and empower me, I'll walk by faith every single day of our lives. Right now, would you just bow your heads with me all over the room? I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna invite Pastor John to come on up. Tonight, Father, I pray for a release of more of your spirit on our lives. That we would be people full of the Holy Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not under the influence of the spirit of the age. Lord, I pray that you would break every yoke tonight. Every demonic yoke, every generational curse, every sexual sin, every issue of pride and covetousness that right now is trying to keep you under its yoke, I announce right now in the name of Jesus that yoke is broken, that assignment is broken in the name of Jesus. And tonight we belong to Jesus. Holy Spirit, come to us, yoke up with us, lead and guide us into all truth. I pray in Jesus' name.